What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Talking Chop Podcast. This is episode four. I am Carlos Colazzo, along with Brad Rowland, as always. Brad, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Uh, getting into a, into a bit of a rhythm here with the podcast, which is always fun, and uh, almost got some baseball coming this week, some actual like games, which would be riveting. So this will be the last one before that starts, and uh, we're all ready for it, I think. Yeah, definitely. I, I actually got spoiled a little bit with some college baseball this weekend in Chapel Hill, but I'm definitely ready for the uh, the pro players to get going. And today we have Chris Willis with us on the podcast. Chris, how's it going? Doing good, Carlos. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We're excited to talk about some of the news and notes that we have to discuss that came from this week. Um, not too much in the way of, of real baseball talk compared to other weeks, I would imagine, but we've still got some interesting things to talk about and discuss. Um, first of which... I think this is probably the most straightforward piece that we have on the site this week, um, which is just the fact that Liberty Media can't wait until the end of this current Braves TV deal. Shocking news, I know, but they are excited, like the rest of us, to get out from under this terrible TV deal that the Braves currently have, which stretches to 2027, which is 11 years away, which seems like forever. Um, what are your, all, your thoughts on, on this deal, Brad? And uh, do you think there's any possibility that the Braves can get out of this earlier, or are we kind of just stuck until 2027 and we've got to basically do whatever we can to, uh, to, to get around the financial situation, I suppose? Yeah, it's been sort of long known that this is a disastrous TV contract, um, mostly because of how long it's been. Um, if you look around the, the sporting landscape right now, uh, with TV rights exploding, um, Everybody's kind of making bukus of money when they when their deal comes up, and the Braves have been locked into this thing for so long. And you mentioned they have eleven more years that it's kind of brutal um, when it comes to payroll. Um, Liberty Media has kind of been vocal in saying that you know this is the budget for the Braves, um, and presumably that is because they're not making more money on TV. Um, you know, a lot of fans get get upset with Liberty Media that, that they won't spend more money. Because it's you know a billion dollar conglomerate, but the uh, you know the dollars and cents um, they look at it more as a business um, than an individual owner would most likely, and uh, the budget that they pres- that they prescribe to the Braves is you know make- takes into account what they make at the gate and what they make in TV. So I understand that part of it. Um, as far as getting out of it early, um, I can't imagine Fox Sports is going to run to get out of it to let them out of this deal early. Um, the only way that it would make any sense for Fox is that they locked in the Braves even longer on a below market deal. Uh, it would still be more money presumably than they're getting now per year. Um, but you know, the Braves would almost have to willingly take a bad deal, um, to get out of this current one and sign a longer one. Um, so it's, it's kind of a choice between two evils. Either, either you take 11 more years of a bad deal or you make a longer one, um, that's going to punish you even longer into the future. So, you know, no one wants to hear it, but I can't imagine they get out of it anytime soon. And even if they can re- renegotiate it closer to 2027, it's not going to be beneficial for the Braves because just because Fox has no incentive to let the Braves um, out of the deal and give them uh, more money. Yeah, well, that's pretty well said. I, I don't know too much about this entire situation other than the basics, but uh, Chris, do you have any other thoughts on that, or did Brad sum it up pretty well for you? No, I think I think Brad summed it up pretty well. Um, you know, I can't imagine there's an out uh, that uh, the Braves could use to get out of this thing, uh, unless it's like Brad mentioned, it was to you know negotiate a uh, 
a, a below market value uh, extension, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, they've waited this long. Uh, Eleven years, long time, but um, uh, you know that's the amazing part. You, you look at the way TV rights are exploding right now. You know what's that going to look like ten years from now, and uh, you know how much of a disadvantage does that really, uh, you know, uh, put this franchise in? Mm-hmm. All right, and then uh, just moving on into some of the stories that we've had coming out. Zach Dillard uh, with Fox Sports, I believe it is, ironically enough, um, has had a few interesting stories on on some Braves players that you guys should definitely check out, uh, particularly two of the players who came over in the Shelby Miller, Dansby Swanson trade, uh, focusing on Aaron Blair and Ender Enciarte. And in both of these pieces, um, really a, a focal point seemed to be that both of these players are excited about being with the Braves because of basically the fact that the Braves aren't very good and they're going to get more opportunities than they otherwise would have with Arizona. Uh, for Aaron Blair, he's got a much better chance of getting into the starting rotation and really starting his MLB career as a pitcher earlier than he would with the Diamondbacks rotation. And for Ender Inciarte, it's uh, the chance for him to play center field, which is his preferred position, uh, something that he obviously can't do in Arizona with uh, Pollock in center field, who's obviously an incredibly talented center fielder. Uh, but do you guys think there's anything to say for players coming to a team where maybe you're not competing, but the individual players will have maybe more opportunities to succeed or uh, a better, just a better fit for them personally? Do you think there's anything to be said for maybe expecting something more than we would with another team, or am I maybe making too much of this situation? Chris, you can take this one if you want. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's something to be said there. Uh, you know, I mean. Uh, you know, they're. I think. I think getting traded like the way the way these guys have, you know, I mean that can be a, a jarring uh, situation. But uh, you know, it appears Blair and uh, Nciarte are at least coming into a situation where they can, they feel like they can make a mark and maybe go to the next level as a player. For a guy like Blair, maybe that's uh, uh, capturing a spot in the rotation coming out of spring training. If not, you know, then maybe certainly so early in the season. Uh, for Enciarte, you know, I mean, this, this guy's a, you know, I think he can make a huge impact with the Braves right away. Uh, you know, if the defensive metrics, you know, just really uh, didn't like Cameron Mabin last year, and uh, Enciarte's, uh, you know, was a uh, bona fide uh, great outfielder mm-hmm. uh, for the Diamondbacks. So, you know, I feel like, you know, right there, uh, you know, whether even if the guy doesn't hit at all, um, you know, he's probably going to make up for a lot of. Uh, a lot of those shortcomings with his glove. Yeah, Brad, anything to say on this one? On this yeah, I mean, Blair especially, um, getting an opportunity to get in the rotation. I'm, we're going to talk about more about the rotation later in this podcast, but Blair's a guy who you know, legit, legitimately could be one of the, one of the five best pitchers in the, in the organization right now. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in Arizona, when they're, you know, they're, for better or worse, trying to compete for, for a title this year, which is why they did the Miller trade, and signed Zach Greinke and did all those things that they did. Um, it's tougher for a team like that to sort of lean on you know a guy who's 23 years old, um, whereas the Braves are going to give him every opportunity to. You know, if he's not cracking rotation out of spring, it'll be pretty surprising to me if he's not up by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And it's just an opportunity um, and a new situation and one where they clearly valued Aaron Blair. I mean, you, whatever you want to say about Arizona, they probably didn't value him as highly as the Braves are. Um, being in, if you if, if you just look at that trade that they gave up for Miller, uh, Blair was kind of seen as the throw-in by a lot of people. 
and we kind of made fun of that in this space. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's too good for that, and they and they sort of treated him like that in that trade. And I mean, that, that's some outsider speak for me and assuming what Arizona thinks of him. But at the same time, like it probably feels good to get into a new spot and feel like you're really valued and, and that the team wanted you. So it can be interesting for a young guy to to sort of feel that and be given the opportunity at the same time. Yeah, and with Blair particularly, I wanted to talk about uh, one of the comments that was brought up in your piece on Kyle Kendrick, actually, that we can touch on later. But uh, what do you think about the uh, discuss- discussions and the comments that have been made about service time and whether or not uh, Blair should be brought up, whether or not he's ready? Uh, do you think the Braves should hold him back just to get that extra year of service time from him? Or do you think if he's ready to go, he's ready to go and we should have him up in the uh, in the majors? Because there's been some debate about this topic in Major League Baseball in general over the past few years with George Springer, I believe it was, with the Astros. Um, but what are your, what are y'all's thoughts on bringing up a young player when you're not competing when that player's probably ready? For me, I, I'm in the camp of, with Blair especially, they should hold him out. Um, I think Blair's good enough to where service time becomes an issue. I think for and my sort of philosophy is that um, guys who I think are above a certain level of talent, you want to be more wary of their service time. Um, it's all about team control and cost savings. Um, even with, you know, with Blair against a guy like Tyrell Jenkins, who's another guy who presumably is going to is going to compete for the rotation. Um, between the two of them, I value Blair higher. Um, so e- even if Blair was better in spring, I'd be more willing to roll with Jenkins out of spring uh, in the rotation just because – if you can keep Blair down long enough to get an extra year on him, that's the cost savings on pitchers especially is so huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen that sort of manifest itself around the league where Blair's, in my opinion, has a profile of like a number two starter. And a number two starter is going to make you know $20 million a year yeah. down the line. If you if he can prove to be that kind of player, that's a huge savings about um, versus where, what you're going to pay him in arbitration. So he's good enough for me to um, – hold him down but that's an obviously like, like you said it's a point of argument um in the Braves community and just the community at large of whether it's a whether it's something that's right to do um the Chris Bryant thing sort of brought this to the forefront last year with the Cubs where everybody knew that Bryant should be up mm-hmm. from moment one and would be one of Chicago's best players but they did not want to do that and they can say whatever they want to say but it was definitely about service time <laughs> um and no team is going to admit that just like the Braves won't if the Braves luck not to bring him up to start the year, they're never going to say we want to hold him. We want to hold him down for a service time because they just can't say that. Mm-hmm. But you got to read the team leaves in this kind of spot, and it's happened too many times before to ignore the uh, the simple fact that it's just too it's too beneficial for the team to hold a guy down just a little bit longer, especially in a spot where they're not trying to compete this year. Yeah, and and I understand that it definitely makes sense for the team to do that. You've got to get the most value that you can out of these players. It is a business, but this is one of those rules where where I would like to see it change, honestly, because there's nothing worse than a situation like you were talking about with Chris Bryant when you have a guy who's clearly ready to be at the major league level, and the only thing holding him back is money and the financials and uh, the contract status. Um, I am curious to see if if play if this is an issue a big enough issue with the players to where something gets talked about in the uh, the next collective bargaining agreement. Uh, it would be something that I would be interested in seeing changed for sure. Because if Aaron Blair's ready, I want to see him pitch. To be honest, from from my personal standpoint, which obviously the Braves don't care about, but I don't want to see this guy just wasting away in AAA when he's basically just waiting for that service time uh, date to pass. 
Chris, anything? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree with everything that was stated here. It's uh, you know, it's frustrating as a fan uh, to see these guys in spring training. I think and uh, see them outperform some of these veterans, only to get sent back to the AAA level uh, just because of the service time um, and that and that salary clock uh, that'll start. But uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, it's also an interesting thing. I mean, I can't blame I can't blame the Braves because it's the system that you have in place. Mm-hmm. And uh, value on that, um, you know, those, those that future uh, future salary commitments. Uh, you know, uh, I think it's important. I think it's important to be mindful and to be, uh, you know, be thinking about that uh, long term. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Carlos. Uh, you know, it's something I wish baseball could figure out and uh, you know come up with a, a way to work around it. Yeah, definitely right there with you. Um, and I think this is a good segue into, uh, Brad, your, your article that I touched upon a minute ago. But Kyle Kendrick is a guy who could definitely take one of these spots from a, from a younger pitcher simply because he's a veteran arm who the Braves have, I mean, they've seen him over the course of his career. He's not going to give you a whole lot other than eight innings. Brad, I was excited that you that you wrote this piece on Kyle Kendrick because it feels like we've trashed him in every podcast so far and we've only had four of them. But do you want to just touch on why Kendrick is maybe the 10th best pitcher in the Braves system at this point and why you don't want to see him in the starting rotation? Yeah, obviously you want to read the full piece and we want to direct you to talkingchop.com. Yeah, I, That's our, I also uh, want to touch on your, your lead. It's beautiful. It's just one word, <laughs> nine. I love yes. that. <laughs> uh, you can, that's, a, that's a good tease from Carlos. You can go read the piece. But um, the gist of it is that Kyle Kendrick's not very good. Um, and, and that's, that's it. Yeah, I mean that's not it's not up for debate to be honest. Like he's 30 he's 31 years old, he'll be 32 by the end of the season. He's had one season in his career where he was a two-win pitcher. Um and that's not everything. Like you can function uh as a back end as a back end rotation guy with, you know, with a one-win, one-war profile, but essentially Kendrick is not going to be a long-term part of this organization. There's no there's no scenario where that is going to come to pass um barring some giant sea change in his production level and his peripherals, but um it'd be different on a team where you were trying to at least you have a faint you know, you know the faint possibility of winning 80 games and maybe you know faintly competing for the wild card spot, but no one no one in the industry thinks that that's going to happen with the Braves this year. Uh, and I agree with that. And to give any any real innings commitment to, to Kendrick is just basically a waste of a resource. Um, there's something to be said for a guy like him um, to stabilize a rotation as a fifth starter somewhere because he can eat innings. And he's not – I shouldn't say – I mean, he's not good, but he's not absolutely unpitchable. Um, there's a difference between those two things. He was unpitchable last year in Colorado. and I think his ERI was like 6.32. Um there has to be some sort of caveat for pitching in Coors Field, so I'll almost give him a pass for that. But even if you assume he's going to throw, you know, 180 innings with an ERA in the high fours, that's there's nothing really on this particular team this year where that's really helpful to you. And you have enough arms um, to choose from. Even a guy like Ryan Weber, who we've kind of poked fun at for his prospect standing, number one prospect Ryan Weber, and there it is. Um, even a guy like him, like he's not proven that he's bad. Uh, I think Kendrick has proven now that what he is, he's a subpar starter who you could get by with in the fifth spot if you had to. But we don't know. Ryan Weber might be good. Like he might, he's not going to be an ace in my opinion or most people's opinions. But he might be. He might turn into a third, fourth starter. That's not bad. Uh, but you don't know that. 
Same thing as Tyrell Jenkins we brought up before, or even Mike Fultonavich or Manny Benuelos, and the list goes on and on and on mm-hmm. of guys who you can conceivably think will be helpful to your organization in a couple years. Whereas Kendrick, you don't have any, you don't, there's no long term money commitment to him. He's on a minor league deal, and I just don't see the rationale behind it. I've, there's a lot of people who disagree with me, and they can be found in the Talking Chop comments. Um, oh yeah, I read but, some of those. Those are funny. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I mean. Honestly, it's a philosophical thing again, like sort of like the Super Two conversation, where I get it. If you're really concerned with putting forth the best possible product to win games in 2017, I mean 2016, sorry, you could conceivably think Kendrick is better than some of these guys would be this year. I disagree with that, but you you at least know what you're getting, and he's more projectable. So if you want to say, all right, he's our fifth starter, go throw 180 innings, go make 30 starts, there's some value in that. I just don't think it's valuable to this team this year when they're just trying to look to the future more than anything else. And I know looking ahead, if Kyle Kendrick does get into the starting rotation, we're going to hear all the arguments, uh, likely from Freddy Gonzalez himself, about uh, the value that you get from a veteran pitcher. What do you guys think about that? Because we obviously hear about veteran presence all the time. Is there anything to be said for an older pitcher like Cal Kendrick uh, helping along some of these young guys? I mean, I think there. Uh, you know, I think that's certainly a case. Uh, but you know, I think also the case could be made here is if Cal Kendrick, that guy that you want, you know, guiding some of these young guy, uh, young players. <laughs> I mean, he's. Uh, you know, I mean, definitely he's been in the majors. He knows his way around. Um, you know, he uh, struggled struggled last year but this is going to be one of those uh i think one of the best storylines of the spring honestly is is as to see how they use these non-roster veteran pitchers uh you know alongside some of these younger arms and to see how they perform and uh see what the braves really do i mean it goes in the same same discussion we were having a few minutes ago uh you know about the holding a guy like aaron blair down early uh, because they're going to have to fill the rotation out with some guys. You know, you've got Williams, Perez, Manny Benuelos, you know, and and some younger options there. But um, you know, I mean, uh, if Kendrick had a good uh, a good spring, you know, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me in the least, especially if they thought that was somebody that they could move at the de- at the deadline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, that that touches on a, a question that we're going to get later. So. Just keep that in mind. Uh, but before we get to the mailbag, there are a couple. There are two more little notes that I wanted to mention. That I want to mention. Uh, first of all, is Andrew Jones' retirement, and he's finally going to be in the Braves Hall of Fame. I know there's been a lot of consternation among Braves fans that he wasn't already in the Braves Hall of Fame. But he announced his retirement last week, and the Braves announced that he was going to be going into the Braves Hall of Fame along with John Sheerholtz. Um, I don't think there's too much to be said other than, I mean, this this was obviously going to be coming. Um, I didn't get to see Andrew Jones maybe as much as you two did, but what do you think about Andrew being in the Braves Hall of Fame and going in with a guy who really brought him up with the organization in Sherholtz? Yeah, I mean, it, I wrote about this, and everybody's kind of jumped to this after the announcement of the uh, Hall of Fame induction, but this is not me. This does not mean that they're, they are retiring his number. Yeah, um, which has been the bigger, honestly, the bigger discussion point. Um, it's it's nice to see Andrew get recognized because of because of his great career with the team. Um, he's perennially underrated. Um, he will always be underrated um, by a segment of the fan base simply because he didn't hit 300. Um, and that's that's about as plain as I can put it. I mean, he hit for power. He's 
arguably the greatest defensive center fielder of all time, but he didn't, you know, he didn't hit for average. And that in a time where that was sort of the biggest thing, um, if Andrew played now, and this is sort of the premise of a thing that I wrote a few weeks ago, if Andrew played now, he would un- universally be recognized as one of the best players in baseball because we're starting to value defense and, and war and all those things that are considered to be a quote unquote advanced metrics, um, where Andrew was fantastic. Um, you look at one of the top hundred players in the history of baseball, according to both war statistics. Um, he's just, he was phenomenal in a Braves uniform and it's just nice to see him be recognized and Sherholz is a no brainer. I mean, he's the architect of that entire run, um, of 14 titles in a row. Um, as mad as people want to get about it, only be one, being one, one World Series. Sheryls was a phenomenal GM in his time, and now you know, still a member of the organization, still doing things um, behind the scenes. And obviously, he's deserving as well. But Andrew's going to be the focus because he was the player, and uh, he deserves any recognition the Braves want to give him, and more. To be honest, yeah, I am surprised that. Well, I guess I'm not surprised that the Braves hasn't haven't retired his number yet because. I think it was clear that the Braves don't do that until a player retires. But Chris, do you think that it's a it's a no brainer for Andrew Jones's number to be retired in the Braves organization, or do you think there's an argument to be made that that no, he didn't he didn't do enough to have that award? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a great uh, question. I mean, I think he absolutely did enough. Uh, you know, I think he's one of the best uh, best outfielders to ever uh, put on a Braves uniform. Um, you know, I thought Brad's piece. Uh, that you know, it called him if he had, if he was playing, if Andrew was playing in today's time, you know, he would be one of the best uh, players in the game uh, with the advanced metrics and the uh, the way people approach uh, baseball nowadays. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would love to see his number retired. Uh, you know, I've I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of fans upset because there's been a lot of people wear 25 uh, since Andrew's been gone. Um, and I think, I think, I even think Tyler Flowers is wearing it this season. So, you know, that's something I would like to see, uh, eventually done. Um, I don't know if it'll happen. Uh, I don't know what the reasoning would be not to do it. Uh, but I think also, I'm, I'm really glad that this got done. I think it's, uh, I think Andrew deserved to be inducted while the Braves were still playing at Turner Field. Uh, that's where, you know, most of his memorable, games occurred that's where you know he 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 started and um you know i think that's a i think that's a good thing uh especially in this last season where there just not may not be a whole lot to cheer about in the regular season uh but this will be one of the highlights yeah i think that's a good point i didn't even i didn't even think about uh this coming during the last season turner field but i do think that's a, a really good point and i think it'll be a cool a cool moment at turner field um, I think that happens in August, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, gonna... it's actually on my birthday, August nineteenth. Hey, shout out the biggest uh, Andrew Jones endorser with the birthday on his retirement ceremony or his Hall of Fame ceremony. Listen, we could have a separate argument about Andrew being in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I don't want to have it on oh, this true. podcast, but there is an argument to be made. And one day, when I feel like it, I'm going to write that. <laughs> But and I mean Andrew has a legitimate case. I'm no. not saying he definitely should be in, mm-hmm. but like that that's not crazy. I definitely I, agree with you. I mean, I mean, if you just look at his numbers now and compare them, compare them to the players who have been talked about going in, who have gone into the Hall of Fame recently. I mean, it, he definitely stacks up with those players, and I think it's, it's really just shocking to me how underrated he is and continues to be. And I'm wondering if that'll change over the next several years, maybe as more and more baseball fans look towards advanced metrics, do you guys think that'll ever happen or is Andrew kind of screwed in that regard? 
I was going to say that, like, this old, the old school people that still vote on Baseball Hall of Fame, that's kind of been you know, dissected every which way at this point, about really about Tim Raines lately. Um, that's a guy who clearly should be in the Hall of Fame by any metric that you look at. Mm-hmm. But his, his chief thing was getting on base and really taking a ton of walks, whereas people don't really value that. At least people that, have, that grew up in a certain era don't really value that. And it's, it's a similar thing with Andrew's defense. I think he... Um, his his waiting until now to announce his retirement um, might actually help his case to get into Cooperstown um, because of the sort of delayed clock. Mm-hmm. Um, you're only on the ballot for a certain amount of time, which is frustrating in itself. But I think it would it would it'd be pretty surprising if Andrew ever got in the Hall of Fame. And again, I'm not even really arguing that he definitely should. It's just one of those things where I doubt it'll even be a discussion point. And I think it definitely should be when the time comes. Yeah. I would agree with that. But uh, moving on from one Braves outfield legend to another, Jeff Francoeur is coming back to be a Brave again. Legend! And, and in a lot of ways, Jeff is the exact opposite player that Andrew Jones is. Uh, for a few years, at least, he, he had a pretty high batting average. And he never walks, ever. He doesn't ever take a walk. I think he has a 5% walk rate, which is pretty bad. And Jeff himself has been a pretty terrible player the past four seasons. He's had negative war. But because of his his rookie year and his first few seasons with the Braves, he is near and dear to many Braves fans' hearts. Um, Were you guys excited at all when when Jeff Francoeur was coming back to town? Or were you just like, meh, whatever? Because I I was in the latter, definitely, in the latter camp. I mean, Francoeur is a nice guy. And you can hope that maybe he can do something coming back to Atlanta. Maybe he just feels great here and just somehow becomes a somewhat productive player, but I don't anticipate that happening, and I'm not really looking too much into this. But, Chris, what are your thoughts on Jeff coming back to Atlanta? Uh, well, I was one of the ones I think that was, uh, you know, for some reason I was pretty excited about <laughs> it. And then, I mean, it was, you know, it's, it, for a lot of nostalgic reasons, I'm sure. Um, you know, I, I watched him. Uh, come up through the minors uh, and make a splash, hit a homer in his first game. Um, you know, it was kind of the same. In, in a lot of the ways, the hype there was a lot of the same as there was with Andrew Jones. Of course, we know it had it ended in two different, completely different ways. But, uh, you know, I think uh, I think you can get excited about having Frank Kerr in camp until you really look at the Braves outfield situation. And I think that's when the reality starts to set in that, you know, hey, you know, a lot of things are going to have to happen uh, for him to ever have a chance at, uh, you know, uh, making breaking camp with this team on the major league roster. So, you know, it's a great story. It'll be something fun to keep an eye on there throughout spring training. You know, I'm pulling for the guy. I've always pulled for him. Um, you know, he, he, he it feels if this if he's getting to the end of his career, you know, I think this is a great great place for him to come back and finish things up. So, you know, I'll be pulling for him. Um, you know, and watching, but uh, you know, I'm not too optimistic uh, that he can have an impact for this team. Yeah, uh, Jeff is a career two sixty one three oh four four eighteen hitter, and he's got. 5.1 career wins above replacement. Uh, just for some context, Jason Hayward has had three seasons with a war better than that. So, uh, Brad, is there anything that you're looking for Jeff to do, whether that's just to get some more fans into the seats at Turner Field if he does end up making the team? I'm not even sure it's Turner Field. I think it's more seats uh, more seats uh, in Gwinnett. 
to be honest. Uh, I was going to say, I have two, two very different uh, feelings about Jeff coming back. Uh, number one is that Jeff Rancor is not good at baseball anymore. Um, I think it's kind of revisionist to suggest that he was never good. Um, this is a guy with, with three different seasons of two and a half war or more in his career, including two with the Braves. So like, at one point, he was a productive player. You mentioned his lack of walks. Uh, that was always the case. But, um, you know, he, he had 29 home runs in a season for the Braves. Uh, you mentioned the, when he first came up in 2005, he hit 14 homers in 70 games with an OPS around 900 and was absolutely fantastic. Won a couple gold gloves, has one of the best outfield arms in the league still. Mm-hmm. Um, just absolute cannon. Um, but there's no denying he's been bad for about four years now. Um, and even, even before that, he was overrated, certainly by the casual fan. Um, so there's that, and he's not, you know, if you're looking for Jeff Francoeur to make an impact on the field this year, I would sincerely think that's probably not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my, that's my rational uh, take on the situation is that he's likely to end up in Gwinnett where he happens to be a legend. Uh, he grew up in Gwinnett County, so they would certainly sell some tickets for Jeff if he ends up with the Braves in AAA. Um, the other part of me, though, is irrationally excited uh, <laughs> because I actually know Jeff a little bit personally. Uh, oh, okay, let's hear about I, that. Went to high school with Jeff. He's two years older than I am, so we're not—I mean, we're not boys or anything. But I grew up watching him play football, play watching him play baseball. He played with a lot of my friends on the baseball team. So, like, Frank Corey in the home run on on day one was one of the happiest fan moments of my entire life because um, that's a guy I knew um, who was coming to play for the organization that I was a fan of. So it was a, a pretty pretty crazy. Uh, to watch that, and I'll always have that place in my heart for Jeff. And as Chris mentioned, he's an awesome guy, um, sort of by all accounts. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say anything bad about him personally. Um, so it's fun, you know. It's fun for me, and I was making fun of it uh, and myself on Twitter when it first happened, sort of irrationally uh, <laughs> using all caps to talk about uh, Frank Gore and his impact. Um, that's all tongue in cheek, because again, I don't think Jeff's going to help the Braves a lot on the field. But it's a fun story, and. The fact that he might make the team is almost an indication of how bad this could be, because um, there's been some some rumblings. Uh, David Dave O'Brien from the AJC today, um, you know, matter of factly said that there is a chance, like it's sort of a maybe on Jeff making the team. And most organizations, it'd probably be a firm no. Um, but this is a spot where I mean, the Braves have a lot of outfielders, but none of them outside of Inciarte and Oliveira are locks to be here uh, on opening day. So it's one of those things where. He could weasel his way on the team with a hot spring. Uh, Freddie Gonzalez is apt to keep a guy with some veteran presence, uh, as we would say, if he has a good spring and, and performs a little bit. And he's always been able to hit lefties. So if you want to talk yourself into a platoon situation, maybe a bench bat against lefties, you could do worse, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not great, but it's fun, and he's a local guy, and everybody likes him. So there's the... The sharp divide between uh, the diehard, you know, numbers people and the sort of feel-good baseball nostalgic fan, and uh, Frank Gore has always been a great case of it, and that continues now. Yeah, I'm actually trying to get his split numbers right now. But what was what was Jeff like back in school when you knew him? Is it was it basically what we've heard and the and throughout the media over his professional career, just super nice guy? Or do you have any any specific stories of, of Jeff that come to mind or? Yeah, I mean, he was always a super nice guy, but in high school, he was a god. It's it's kind of hard to emphasize. He's one of the best athlete, athletes in, in Georgia high school sports history. 
Um, he was a two-time like state player of the year in football. Um, signed an offer, signed an offer to go to Clemson to play defensive back. Um, they won while while he was there. They won two state championships in, in football and two in baseball. So he basically didn't lose anything at the highest level of Georgia sports. Um, and he was also hitting. You know, I remember one time in high school, his last year, he hit, he hit five home runs in a three game series in the playoffs and saved two games. Um, so it's just one of those things where he was just that, like that perfect guy in high school and nobody's perfect. Like he was never going to be as good as anyone thought he was going to be then, uh, anything, but he was one of those guys that's just, uh, you think is absolutely flawless on the, on the football and baseball field. And he kind of was, they never lost. So he was just a nice guy and he was, everybody, there was sort of the aura about him even then. And that's obviously worn off by now at the age of, I think he's 32. Um, he's definitely more of a supporting uh, clubhouse guy now than he was back in the day, but just a generally good guy and everybody that I know that knows him likes him and I liked him in my interactions with him. So it's tough, it's tough to root against a guy like that if you know him personally. Yeah. And I think you could definitely still make an argument that he could be productive versus lefties. As you mentioned, uh, he's a career 280 hitter against lefties with a 329 on base percentage and a 453 slugging percentage. Um, I think that's tapered off over the years. I don't know if he's that good. Obviously, those are career numbers. Um, but it's significantly better than his splits versus righties. He's got less than 300 on base percentage versus righties, barely above 400 slugging percentage. So if Jeff does make the team, I, I would hope you see him solely against left-handed pitchers. But who knows what's going to happen with that. And he might not even make the team. As you said, he could be in Gwinnett for a while. Um, but... I think we should, unless you have anything else to say, Chris, uh, about Jeff, we can we can move on. Yeah, we, that's good. We can move on. Awesome. So, again, we're going to the mailbag segment of the podcast. A big shout-out to all of you guys who are submitting comments and questions for us. We've got a couple that we want to touch on today. Uh, and you can feel free to hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook or the site itself if you have any questions that come to mind that you want us to discuss on the podcast. But... Our first one comes from Jack Gray 64 who says, Last year, the Braves made a splash with the Kimbrel trade on the eve of the regular season. What names do you think would be most likely to be moved by the Braves during this spring training? Uh, and when I read this question, first of all, I, my immediate thought was, well, none. Uh, who is the team going to trade now? But we've seen over the past two years that John Cabo will trade anyone and everyone, probably his own mother, if he thought he could get good value for her. Um, so are there any guys that come out to mind that you think might be traded? There are some, some veteran players who I would think would be traded closer to the, the deadline, but are there any guys that pop out that you think could be traded early this season or before the season? Brad? I, I, yeah, I think um, you mentioned it. My initial reaction is, is probably none. Um, but there are the two veteran outfielders who could easily be moved, if, if nothing else, just to clear them out of the way. Mm-hmm. And that's Michael Bourne and um, Nick Swisher. Um, those would be the two guys who I would think off the top of my head are most likely to be moved. But even then, you're talking about eating a lot of money to deal with either one of those guys. Um, and you only really have an incentive to do that if you really wanted to keep somebody that you didn't have room for otherwise. Um, and that would be kind of a surprise to me at this point. Um, and also, there's a, enough opportunity to where you might be able to get some some better value for those guys at the deadline. You're, all, you're probably always going to have to pay um, most of their salary because they're both vastly overpaid now versus what they actually bring to the table. 
Um, but those are guys with uh, you know veterans with um, some track records um, a, a contender might want at the deadline. Um, especially a guy like Bourne, who could profile as a fourth outfielder and basically just be your defensive, you know, defensive guy, pinch runner type. And if Swisher hits, I mean, Swisher's hit before, and I know he's old, but if he hits, if he hits even a little bit, you might talk, uh, you might sweet talk a, a contender into adding him as a bench bat down the stretch. Um, but in terms of spring, those would be the obvious names for me. Um, in terms of impact guys, I can't really see it. Um, most of these, most of the guys that are going to be Profiling as starters at this point probably aren't moving in spring, but you know, copies uh, copy will pull the rug over your eyes every once in a while and make a make a wild move. Maybe maybe move on from a guy like I don't know. I'm throwing stuff against the wall now, but guys that they don't think are long term starters. So, if, for instance, if they weren't sold on Jace Peterson, um, that I'm not saying that's going to happen. I think it's pretty unlikely. But if they're not sold on a guy long term, but he might have some value now, they might look to move him. Um, even Eric Ibar. Yeah, I was um, about to mention him. That's not a guy who you know profiles as a star for you down the line. He's an older guy who's um, you tr- you traded for as sort of a stopgap, and you have two high-profile shortstops coming behind him. So if you have a, a good offer for Ibar on the table from a team that needs a shortstop help right away, um, you know, move on from him. There's no, there's really not a, a ton of reasons to keep Ibar around uh, this season just to be uh, you know an average shortstop, which is what he'll probably be. Um, so that's a guy. If, he's probably the highest profile guy that I could see getting moved, but in the end, it's probably going to be nothing. Yeah, and this is probably a stretch here too. But I think of another guy um, like Nick Markakis. Uh, he's he's a guy that's that's older, and I think he still brings. He, I think he brings more value than any of the other players that we've mentioned um, could bring value to a team. But I think the Braves are pretty content with having him in the outfield. Uh, I don't know if a team would want to trade for him and give up too much considering his his salary at this point and considering the fact that he had no power last year but he still gives you some on base some on base skills and and he's a, a solid guy in the outfield as in he can catch whatever's within his range which is basically nothing at this point but do you think Nick Markakis is a guy who could be moved at all or is that is that too much of a stretch for you I don't know I mean I think that is probably a guy we talked about that might profile more as a deadline move mm-hmm. um, if they wanted to move on from our kickers, which I've made fun of that contract quite a bit. Um, yeah, I think that's a guy that a lot of people would want to see traded, honestly. We've, we've constantly trashed the contract. But the thing about the contract is it was always going to be bad at the end. Um, as much as he didn't hit for any power last year, he quote-unquote earned that $11 million. Yeah, like I he, definitely agree. He, he was a, he was solid. Like he's not he wasn't overflowing with value beyond eleven million dollars. But like it was not unreasonable to pay Marquez eleven million dollars in twenty fifteen, and it probably won't be this year. Like if he stays healthy, um, from what we've seen of him, he'll probably earn that money unless he just falls off the cliff of age. But that's the kind of guy that you want that I would want to maximize if, if he's having a pretty good year in June or July. Um, and the, and again, like a, a faux contender comes calling for Marquez to plug in an outfield spot. That's a guy who's prime candidate to move, in my opinion, um, at that point in time. Mm-hmm. But again, they they invested him with a four year deal, and he they want to be competitive in twenty seventeen. So if they don't see the if they don't see the uh, the guy coming behind him that they want to insert, they might think they might think that Marquez is a guy they want to use down the line, and maybe even. For me, he's a left fielder. Um, he's playing right field, and the problem with Hector Oliveira playing left field is that you can't move Marquez to left field. <laughs> um, 
where is which is probably where he should be playing defensively. I mean, he's not he's not awful in right as you mentioned, but he's definitely not a plus player in right field. Mm-hmm. Um, and given that he doesn't hit for really any power at all, it's tough to have a, a batting average guy with no little to no power playing right field in a, just an average way. It's not there's nothing really appealing about that. So that's a guy who could move down the line, but it'd be, it'd be pretty surprising to me if they moved before opening day. Yeah, I agree with that, and only because there doesn't there doesn't seem to be a guy in the minor league system that's ready to come up and take one of these corner outfield positions. And based on the contract and even his production, like you mentioned last year, I do think that the Braves think he'll be a a valuable player to have when they're ready to compete. I don't think that's going to be 2017. We've obviously heard that the Braves themselves think that's going to be 2017. But if they believe that that's the year for them, there's really no need for them to trade Marcakis unless they anticipate uh, a pretty pretty impressive drop in, drop in production very soon. So, yeah, I would be surprised by that. Chris, are there any guys who you think the Braves would trade early this season before the deadline, even before the season, or is it kind of a vapid team this year that really doesn't have anything to offer? Uh, well, I think the, uh, you know, I think the trade deadline, it's like you guys said earlier, you, you know, you never say never with copy. Uh, but, you know, I don't think you're going to see a big name in spring training. It certainly doesn't seem to be lining up that way um, for all the reasons you guys just mentioned. Um, uh, but, you know, I mean, you, you focus on Bourne and Swisher. Uh, maybe even moving Swisher uh, it seems less likely right now, just given uh, that uh, they're still being cautious with Freddie Freeman's wrist. And Swisher could play a little first base if uh, if Freeman needed a little rest there. Um uh, you know, Bourne's an inter- the outfield's an interesting situation. All uh, you know in, in itself. I mean, uh, you know, there's rumblings already that Hector Oliveira might uh, uh, end up back at third base if uh, if you know the situation with Adonis Garcia doesn't work out there. Um, you know, so I mean, it's, it's still a situation in flux. But you know, you look at all these guys, all these pitchers. Uh, you know, there's going to be some odd guys out. You know, wouldn't be shocked if the Braves tried to trade a couple of them. You know, right before the uh, the season started. Uh, you know, we we're talking about minor minor deals, though. You know, I don't think you're going to see anything with a big return like uh, like what we had last year with Kent, Craig Kimball and uh, uh, Upton trade. You know, right before the opening day. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Though, regardless, uh, trade deadline is always fun. I don't know if you should look for anything. Early this season, it's it's unusual in general for trades to happen that soon just because teams are trying to figure out where they're going to be. So uh, if you're really excited for trades, just hold up until the trade deadline near the end of July. Uh, our next question comes from Glassman, and he asks, well, he asks, is it me or does the overall level of drama, for lack of a better term, seem to be more prevalent lately? Outside of the steroids BS, baseball has always managed to do with less off and on the field shenanigans. Uh, I don't want to get into specifics, but the Hooper Poobobon, referring to Harper Papobon, obviously, saga, and investors supposedly threatening the lives of their clients come to mind. Um, I'm not positively sure what he's referring to at the end of that, but I'm I'm pretty sure he's talking about um, the issue with Lazarito and his agent dropping out because there are some rumors of a death threat towards them. Um, but I don't know. Do you guys think there's any more or less drama in baseball than than there usually is? I'm of, I'm of the mind that no. I mean, I don't think anything too crazy is going on. Obviously, the, the Lazarito thing is a bit strange, but we've had those rumors shot down 
by uh, Lazaro and his family. What do you guys think about the drama situation in the MLB at this point? Kind of a unique question. Thanks, Glassman. <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, I think the Lazarito stuff is interesting, but without knowing more about it, you know, you want to dive deep dive deep into it. But the whole the whole um, international uh, scouting and signing process is pretty like pretty much the wild wild west. It is extremely extremely shady. Yeah, they they try to they've tried to regulate it a little bit, but they're going to have to make some changes to that down the line. It's just, it's getting crazier and crazier. This is just the most recent instance. People don't understand it either. It's not it's not good for casual fans because they just don't they're not going to get it. Like the posting fee, like the whole who can who can sign, who can't, who's available, who's not, uh, what like you know. It's all about it's just logistics of, that people like us know, but like most people don't have any clue. Um, but aside from that, I don't I don't think there's any more drama than normal. I mean, the Papelbon Harper stuff was kind of crazy last year. That was awesome uh, to watch. Papelbon is an absolute <laughs> maniac. Um, that's well documented at this point. I think uh, you, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who likes Papelbon, uh, even in the industry. Uh, he's a good he's a good pitcher, but um, and it was kind of hitting close to home for Braves fans because it was it was the Nationals and and Braves fans don't like the Nationals, so it was we kind of got we kind of grabbed our popcorn on that one yeah, and just I, I kind of enjoyed it. That combination of just the Nationals, Bryce Harper, and Jonathan Papelbon is basically the the perfect combination for Braves fans to just watch a circus unfold there. So. Yeah, so I think that probably that probably leans into it to where it might feel like there's more going on, but you're it's always you're always good for a, a couple clubhouse stories per year, a couple couple off field stories, but I think if anything, I mean he mentioned outside of the steroid stuff, but now that the steroid stuff's kind of toned down, mm-hmm. I really enjoy following uh, the off field stuff more. Like it's just even just watching like baseball tonight on a Tuesday. It's more it's more pleasurable now that not everything is clouded in the HGH PED talk. Um, guys like Bonds are gone, and it's 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 you know it's always there. There's always the suspicion exists, and mm-hmm. that's never going to go away, at least not anytime soon. But it's not a constant point of discussion, and that leads more to talking about action baseball, um, which I enjoy, and we love baseball. We want it to be good. Um, so yeah, the off field stuff can be. It can be fun sometimes, frankly. The Harper stuff again was—I enjoyed uh, the coverage of it. You never wanted to—you never want to enjoy guys getting in a physical altercation, I guess. But it was fun for outsiders, and I don't really see the uh, the overall drama level uh, increasing much, if at all. It might just be that we live in this TMZ era, so everything everything is going to be covered uh, a little bit more than it used to be. Yeah, I think in general, baseball is pretty well off, especially compared to some other leagues. Like the NFL, obviously, has had its like just tons of stuff coming out of the NFL over the past few years. And then even FIFA on, on more of a worldwide level has had maybe the biggest scandal and instances of corruption within their uh, organization. Uh, you guys obviously know more about the NBA than I do, but I think baseball is, is doing pretty well as far as avoiding off field drama. Uh, the only other thing I can think of that even happened this off season was the Jose Reyes altercation that's still uh, kind of being settled at this point as we speak, but I think baseball is in a very good place. Yeah, Chap had uh, a Rawls Chapman too. Just yeah, that's that's there. another one. No, but I think in general there's not a whole lot of constant off the field issues that you have, like you have with with the NFL, just with players getting in altercations, uh, the concussion stuff that the NFL is dealing with. I don't know if that counts as the drama that you're talking about, Glassman, but I'd, I'd say baseball is doing pretty well. 
Chris, any, any thoughts on this? No, I, I agree with you. Uh, you know, I think it's just, uh, you know, it, it does seem, it can seem that, you know, it's uh, just something every day. But, you know, I think that's the different world we live in. You know, the Internet, uh, Twitter, social media, I mean, nothing goes unreported anymore. And, I mean, we're, we're used to you had to rely on just a newspaper, a daily newspaper. You know, now it's just this never-ending stream of uh, information. Uh, you know, I do think the, um, the domestic violence stuff, that's going to be interesting to see because uh, those penalties come down. You know, that's going to there's going to be a unfortunately, you know, that's going to have an effect on the future because uh, there's probably going to be more of those incidents. And, uh, you know, and I, I expect uh, I expect there to be a, a strong precedent set early on just for because of the a lot of fallout you've seen with the NFL. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think Major League Baseball wants to be uh, on that end of the spectrum. So I expect them to come out with a, you know, probably a harsh punishment, uh, starting out. And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops over time. But, uh, you know, I, overall, I do think baseball is in a good spot. You know, it's nice to hear, you know, the steroids is always there. PEDs are always there, uh, but they're not at the forefront and that's not leading every, every, uh, story that you, uh, you read nowadays. And that, that's a nice thing. Yep, definitely. Um, and I think that's all we have for uh, the mailbag this week. Again, thank you to all of you guys who are providing us some feedback. If you have any other questions, feel free to drop it in, this, in the website, Twitter, and or Facebook. Um, until then, I think we're, we're getting set with spring training. What is it, Tuesday? That's our first game versus the, the Orioles. That is, that is right. Tuesday, yeah. uh, Tuesday against the Orioles. Yeah. All these all these 105 starts are great for people like me <laughs> to have day jobs. It's awesome, but anyway. Yeah, but it's going to be exciting to see some of these. Obviously, we've, we've been talking about it for weeks now, it feels like, but spring training is finally around the corner. Uh, the next time you hear from us, we will have seen Braves baseball being played. Whether or not it's good or bad remains up in the air. Probably going to be bad, but who knows. Uh, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris underscore Willis. You can follow Brad at BT Roland, and you can follow myself at Carlos A. Colazzo. Also, be sure to follow at Talking Chop if you don't already. Um, thanks for hanging out with us, guys. We'll come back at you next Sunday. Take care.